Kick the Jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the Jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah! Hello, music lovers everywhere, and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. Kyle. What? <laughs> that was good. Yeah. You, you almost forgot to disguise your voice. Yeah, exactly. But then you added a, a celebratory what? whoop at the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you're like saying your name and then like tripping over like a turnip or something. Yeah, you know? no, that was like me starting the plane and then I, uh, that was like my uh, sky riding. Like, <laughs> like a little wisp, a little wisp. Yeah, that's right. At the end of it. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the end. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh man so how are you doing what's going on (laughs) oh i am doing great i'm thriving um life is such a good life now (laughs) oh my god (laughs) uh no i'm hanging in there i'm hanging in there how are you yeah i'm okay i'm good i was telling you right before we started recording i'm feeling like somewhat morose today i don't know exactly why like maybe a little a little anxious but I think it's understandable to feel a little anxious at this time. Yeah, and it yeah. didn't help just to introduce the album before, you know, right up top. Uh, we are talking about Death Cab for Cutie's Transatlanticism today, a beautiful record, but not always the, uh, I wouldn't say the peppiest. Yeah, somewhat morose, for yeah. sure. Uh, maybe that's why. Uh, it's definitely a possibility. You know, also, you know, going to sleep at night, it's going okay, but I can't stop those anxiety dreams that we are probably all having right now. I have had such crazy vivid anxiety dreams. Not, I mean, I don't know, I, you know, we don't have to get too much in our dreams. Yeah, but. because that's like literally like <laughs> podcasting 101, like yeah, garbage. Exactly. Don't like, talk let's, about your dreams. let's talk about our dreams for the first 10 minutes of this music podcast. Like, Yeah. <laughs> But uh, let, I mean, I ha- I've had very vivid, like dark dreams. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily even about like, you know, a dream where it's the apocalypse. It's just like dreams that I often have, which is just like everything goes wrong. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me as well. Just sort of like, just sort of feeling out of control. Uh, which makes sense, you know? Yes. But yeah, but, you know, luckily we're in control of, uh, you know, this wonderful musicology podcast. And you, dear listener, are in control of rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Control! And following, following <laughs> us on all social media channels. We're on all of them. Uh, except for OnlyFans, but that might be coming depending on how desperate we get. So we will see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll get naked for you. Yeah, we'll totally. You. Yeah, that's what everyone wants to see, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what have you been listening to this week that's been getting you through? Yeah, so as a follow-up to last week, I think I was talking about kind of getting into introducing a lot more music into my morning runs. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that have has kind of kept me sane is like these really nice morning runs. I live right on... Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn. I live kind of toward the end of Eastern Parkway on the eastern side. So I have a big, long run toward the park. It's really gorgeous, tree-lined streets. Uh, And um, so I've been listening to a lot more music, and I've been trying to – I'm working on concocting the perfect running playlist, and I'm starting to realize it's 
Um, my, the, my favorite kind of music to listen to is really synthy, saccharine, 80s pop. Big yeah. 80s pop. And as much as I can, like the B-level, uh, not B-level in terms of quality, but like, you know, a little more deep cut hits, but still mm-hmm. hits. Um, so uh, I... Um, I've really, uh, I've been, I've been working on it a lot. Um, and so I just want to run down a few of the songs that I've had. So I, I think I've really got it in a good place. So, uh, some of the songs I've been listening to, um, Spandau Ballet's Gold. That's I a great song. A, yeah, gold. Ah! And I feel like, uh, I feel like it's like if the kids from fame were, um, going for a jog together definitely used um, to great effect in the film sing street from a few years ago actually oh yes, yes 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 yeah. yes okay i would say i mean any song from sing street is great <laughs> to run to are sure. we kidding yeah that's like that that actually era like yes um is like new romantic uh yeah. all that shit is great um another one uh uh our friend from bronski beat um I've been listening to the Communards. His yes, his, the and the don't Le- his version of "Don't Leave Me This Way" is great to run to. Yeah, it's very good. Agreed. Um, and then, kind of going off of our, we've kind of had this lingering. Um, this all ended uh, um, from uh, the Sade Quiet Storm thing. Uh, I've been really listening to uh, Alexander O'Neill, who was like an '80s uh, R&B Quiet Storm pop guy. Cool. But there's this amazing song called "Criticize" that uh-huh. you have to hear. Uh, Love smaller it. Smaller hit, like low charting uh, hit, but it's like it's uh, very good. All I wanna do is criticize. <laughs> I love it. Maybe what we should do is we should do a collaborative Spotify running list oh, and yeah. post it on our website, kickthejukebox.com. Oh, done. For all, I, all of our listeners who are running during this to get the aggression out of having to just stay inside all day. <laughs> and you know what? This will be a fun um, excuse for me, one, to add to this playlist, but also kind of um, tinker and perfect the order. Because I think there's a good I, – I, they're not all like um, – deep cut hits. Like I have some big songs on here that everyone would know. I have young Turks, Rod Stewart. I have uh, escapade by Janet Jackson is oh, great to run. Love to. that song. Um, I feel for you. Shock Khan. So there are some yeah. big hits on here. So it's not all the deep cuts. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And definitely the, the build and like the fall of a running playlist is really important as Absolutely. well. Yeah, yeah. Because you need to warm up properly or else you're going to, you know, get, you're going to get sore. So Yes. And I also like, not to harp on it too much, last thing I'll say is I like to add some songs that I don't know super well yep. so I can like get into them on my run. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because if yeah. you know it too well, then you, it's, it's, you can, your mind can wander. Exercising the music is a great way to get it in your body. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, what have you been listening to? Uh, two things I just want to bring up quickly. Uh, my friend Chris, uh, sent me this playlist yesterday that is called life during wartime. Uh, and then in parentheticals, New York, I love you, but nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and it's a three hour long playlist. that's like kind of a musical pop history of New York. Oh, and it's really really, I think, well put together and well curated. 
Uh, so uh, I will post it in the episode notes. And it has, you know, like all of our favorites. And then it also mm-hmm. like takes this detour into hip hop that I really appreciate. Um, there's some really good ODB on there. Um, oh, nice. Some good NAS on there as well. Uh, and then we get into like some really interesting tracks from like Lou Reed, which I enjoy. Um, yeah, some good like no wave stuff. And it's just a really nice expansive kind of look at at uh, New York as like a character in mm. like a musical landscape. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Uh, so I've been enjoying that. And then my friend Dan, uh, we've been chatting. Dan, who is one of the DJs from the, the K-Piss show under the floorboards. Just shout out to them because I, I think they have a really funny show. And we used to be on K-Piss. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been listening to a lot of uh, really great like Euro disco. Oh, nice. So, like modern Euro disco? No, like old 80s Euro disco. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, so he, he's been really into it. I've been listening, I was listening to them last night. Uh, I want to bring them up. Um, the band Ottawan. Do you know Ottawan? No, I do not. Yeah, they are a European disco band who sang that song. Hands up, baby, hands up. Give me your heart. Give me, give me your heart. So, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which was used in the eighties in a very popular, uh, inescapable uh, uh, ad campaign for Club Med. Okay. <laughs> the most Wait, how do you spell that 80s. band? It's spelled like Ottawa, O T T A W A, and then an N at the end. Ottawa. <laughs> Oh, okay. And they were named after the city of Ottawa in Canada, (laughs) like strangely enough. Um, And then another Italio band called uh, Regeria. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know them. Very strange. Yeah. (laughs) That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing about Italo disco is that, uh, first of all, there are about 400,000 bands (laughs) and um, like most of them will have ever only put out like one track you know yeah it's one of those subgenres right. that w- is such a like studio driven subgenre yeah. like so much like my beloved uh you know 60s bubblegum rock where mm-hmm. i have you know i have like five days worth of 60s bubblegum on my on like a hard drive from the mid 2000s mm-hmm. uh, and you know maybe like there's multiple songs by maybe like seven bands then every other you know right. song is by like some different fake band and i feel right. like that's very similar and exactly. and really yeah. lovely for for yeah. you know all that italo disco stuff for sure so speaking of the mid 2000s all right uh death cab death cab yes. for cutie transatlanticism yeah. came out in 2003 mm-hmm. big important formative record for this band yeah, and Kyle, this was your choice. Uh, why, why transatlanticism, and why now? To ask like the most broad and dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> um, why? Well, I think why now? I can't say. I mean, maybe we'll discover why it came top of mind uh, at this I- very moment for quarantine. But my sort of journey with this album was so yeah this album came out um 2003 2004 um and um 
really, I was introduced to them. So 2005, I was 12 years old and uh, Plans came out. Um, that mm -hmm. was their big, so that was the album immediately after Transatlanticism. And that was their first um, major label release on Atlantic yeah. Records. And that is also the time when I first started getting into music at all, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, in any serious way. And also, I was watching a lot of TV, a lot of MTV and VH1, like right after school. And just like a lot of music videos, you know, that was, uh, you know, people back then would complain like, why don't they play music videos? But as far as I knew, I was watching music videos every day. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> um, and the video for Soul Meets Body, um, I would, I probably watched that video hundreds of times um, at like when this, when their, that record came out. And that kind of got me into them. And it really, especially for like, um, you know, we forget, but they were, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world at that time, especially for indie bands. And like yeah. to have, you know, Soul Meets Body come on right after like Lil Wayne or Chameleon Air, you know, it just jumped out at you in a way that no other like huge uh, I mean, just among the big pop hits of that time, it just stood out. And then I remember, you know, I remember this, like, you know, listening to this uh, record, I like, um, it was like, it, it seemed like a, uh, you know, it was like a more, I felt like as a 12 year old, like very sophisticated listening to this album. Um, I mm -hmm. didn't have any of the associations maybe, and we can get into this of like, you know, who the typical death cab fan was sure. you know in 2005 but i remember the big hits from that album marching bands of manhattan soul meets body i will follow you into the dark which is their like acoustic ballad that was very very big and then crooked teeth um those were all big so i talked enough about plans but that's how i got into it cool um and, and then i do have a follow-up question for that was there somebody in your life that introduced you to Death Cab or was it primarily through seeing them on MTV? That is a beautiful transitional question because <laughs> so seeing them on TV introduced me to the band and introduced me to the album plans. And so that's how I kind of knew them. But then getting into more transatlanticism and back then I didn't really listen to um full albums in the same way it was like i would just you know you downloaded individual songs sure um and so then my very good friend tommy tom krantz got to give him a shout out i think mm -hmm. you've met him um and uh he he was into a lot more he was into death cab but he was also he like got me into a lot of like more pop punk stuff but then uh his his taste was more uh he he really liked um, like uh, Ted Leo, but he also liked Minus the Bear. But then he also liked um, he was like really into like the early early Fallout Boy. He was like one of those people who like when Under the Cork Tree came out, he was like, "Oh, they've sold out, man!" Like Fallout. I was a you know, I was a day one Fallout Boy fan. <laughs> so he kind of got me into more of the transatlanticism. I remember him listening to a lot of Death Cab. And then that kind of um, introduced me to a lot of those songs. But for a long time, I was a big fan, but all the 
all the songs from those two albums kind of swirled in, around in my head in the same way. And then um, a year ago, I uh, recorded some songs, a lot of my comedy songs um, with this dude, uh, Jack, who's a very nice guy. And also I've never really released those songs. So I have to kind of yeah, get, get on it. And, yeah. Um, the fans but, uh, demand it. Yeah. You've let it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the sneak peek. But, um, but he was like, I was talking to him and he was like, go back and listen to transatlanticism because he, he was producing the songs for me. And he was like, yeah, that's one of like the coolest production. You know, it's like, the production on the album is insane is pretty much what he was saying. I was like, Oh yeah. I mean, I like those songs, but I never thought about it in that way. And then, so for the last year, I've kind of like been digesting it as an album in a way that I hadn't, even though I loved all those songs um, and listening to as an album and kind of that, that process is really fun uh, has been really fun to re-examine songs I love and but then recontextualize them and think about and be like oh these were cooler than you ever really realized they were in the first place yeah and we'll get into this a little more as we talk about the actual songs from the record but it is a very well produced album that it the production is somewhat unobtrusive you mm-hmm. know what I mean like this the production on this album isn't showy yes and I think that that really connects with the entire aesthetic of this band uh, right and, and sort of where they come from and who they are in terms of just sort of their cultural roots so you know for our listeners that maybe aren't as familiar with death cab mm-hmm. they were formed in uh bellingham washington in uh 1997 uh in college mm-hmm. uh and um the two main members of this band at the time were singer-songwriter Ben Gibbard and Chris Walla, who went on to produce most of their recordings until he left the band fairly recently, like just in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, produced Transatlanticism. They met at Western University. Um, and uh, the reason why uh, I think it's just great to just pinpoint this for just a moment is they were definitely part I would say of a movement of like Pacific Northwestern songwriters at the time Mm -hmm. that aren't particularly showy Mm. and are perhaps somewhat reactive to the entire grunge movement. Mm -hmm, You know what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I feel like that is definitely uh, one of the things about them, like, sort of they're actually very much like the pixies who we've discussed before uh who we've discussed before we discussed a few episodes ago uh not that concerned i would say with image Mm -hmm. uh and not that concerned with like any sort of form of theatrics um but uh really 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 good solid songwriters always uh and then um transatlanticism is their it's their third album, correct? Fourth. Fourth album, that's right. Mm-hmm. But it was the one that was done, uh, pr- it was created after a, a hiatus. The band, they were somewhat unhappy with each other. Chris mm-hmm. Walla wasn't into touring. Yep. Uh, he was much more interested in being in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, their drummer, who was apparently just like 
caused some friction in the band. Michael Shore had left at mm-hmm. that point, and they mm-hmm. replaced Michael Shore with another drummer named Jason McGurr, uh, who apparently had a calming presence on the proceedings of recording this, mm-hmm. this record. And they like really decided to take their time. They would only record for five days at a time and then take breaks. Yep. And there is definitely a relaxed feel to the album. Uh, and I think it actually contributes to the moroseness of it. This doesn't feel like a band on vacation. This feels like a band <laughs> sort of in, in mourning or experiencing some form of loss, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, like if you think about a relationship, there are times when you're building up to a huge fight and then you blow up at each other and actually have the fight. Yeah. And then there's this like time when if you make up with each other, like for a few months after where you're like trying to be overly sweet and not step on each other's toes and you're both like conscious of that happening. Yeah. Uh, whereas like, and I think, you know, it could be a bit of that energy, which, you know, what Ben Gibbard has said about this time is he was like, it was a, um, he said it was the most creatively fulfilling time of his life. Yes. And he also said that it was, um, you know, it was a very positive, cooperative atmosphere in the studio and creating these songs. Um, and something I agree with, and it's cool to hear people say, especially, you know, rock indie musician is like, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, um, friction doesn't uh, necessarily or often does not lead to a, um, a good result. You know, no, creatively. for sure. I, I mean, that's such a creative process thing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that like I think you and I have both experienced in different ways as creative people is that uh, I think some people really thrive on the conflict that can arise from creative pursuits. And at least mm-hmm. for me, that always like shuts me down. It makes me like really disinterested. Like, Likewise. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy collaborating and... Uh, I think that this album is a really great example of of collaboration mm-hmm. between uh, four uni- unique individuals and then also like a lot of mutual respect. Like Ben Gibbard has said that something he really tried to endeavor to do with the recording of this record is make sure that like Chris Walla felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that that led to the album sounding, as we said, having really tight, smart production, but yes. it not being showy. Cause it's yes. like, he didn't even need to show off. He like knew his production was good. He knew right. his production was solid and was delivering the songs in the right way for the, for the project. Yes. Uh, they recorded this at Chris's studio, mm-hmm. which he named hall of justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was an old school uh, Seattle recording studio. This is mainly where they recorded this record. Uh, and hall of justice is a, that's a, superhero that's a justice league (laughs) reference that's where they all hang out superman and batman um i would imagine that a album that batman would write would sound somewhat like transatlanticism it wouldn't Uh, not sound like that no i mean really (laughs) come on uh batman is the emo uh superhero he definitely he's the emo (laughs) superhero yeah for sure um yeah, Superman's the power pop superhero, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. that's a 
whole other Spider-Man's podcast. Pop punk. Spider-Man's pop punk. He's so pop punk. Yeah, <laughs> even absolutely. though they did, they did try to make that emo Spider-Man, but they did. But it's not. It's for sure. Yeah, and Wonder you know what? We'll get Wonder into Woman this is... more. But I wouldn't even call that that. That's not even. That's not even emo. Yes, that's right. Because we're going to talk about that. That's right. <laughs> Wonder Woman is Riot Girl. Before we move on, <laughs> so. <laughs> um. Yeah, so they recorded this at, at Hall of Justice, and Chris uh, considered uh, the studio the fifth member of the band, which is interesting. And it, like, I think that the album, you can tell it's recorded in sort of these nice, tight, intimate spaces. Mm-hmm. And he feels like he had a lot of control, I think, because of that, over the way the album sounded. I, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, also recording technique-wise as well, they used Brian Eno's creativity deck, oblique strategies yes yes yeah yes. which is just important to note for those of you <laughs> who aren't familiar with the oblique strategies they are a set of 52 cards that brian eno developed for use in the studio brian eno the famous producer who produced a lot for u2 uh james he also produced a band called talking heads um who i try not to name drop every single fucking episode of this podcast so i'll try not to here but i already did and in the studio whenever he was feeling stuck he would just draw from a card for for inspiration um and the cards you know would be randomly shuffled they were sort of random suggestions written down uh that would be you know sometimes funny suggestions sometimes oblique uh one of the, one of my favorite uh one of my favorite cards in the deck uh is uh a card that says consider the radio <laughs> <laughs> you know but you can find there's an online version of oblique strategies and oblique strategies used to be really hard to find cuz he only printed like 200 copies to give out to his friends at the mm-hmm. time but you can find it online and it is uh, a super fun creative tool the oblique strategies Interesting. and uh yeah and i would argue that the production on this album there's certain moments where this album kind of breaks from a traditional pop structure and mm-hmm. veers more towards like an ambient drone yeah and i would argue that that is very similar to eno's solo work where he Mm -hmm. basically invented ambient as a as a genre music for airports if you ever listen to that that sort of thing i think there's especially in the title track transatlanticism i feel there is a middle there's the middle portion of that song where everything really drops out and i think it gets very eno-esque so yeah for sure yeah and then um the uh, song directly after Transatlanticism, pa- Passenger Seat, is yeah. pretty much one long... That's very Eno or Music for Airports-esque, because you have the drone in the background with the piano riff on yes. top, and that's just straight-up Music for Airports. Um, and I think that's a very, very good point. Um, and, but something else you said uh, about the production, which I think is right, is just um, control. A lot of control i think is a really good way to describe the production because and and also the songwriting which ben gibbard has said uh this album and the postal service album which we can talk about his side project postal service um those albums came out within a year of each other this album and the postal service album yeah and so it was clearly a really fertile time for him yeah and he's he said it he said this was the most productive year of my life yeah and definitely. creative year of my life um yeah but a lot, regards, of, lot of control 
Just, yeah. I need to make this, I need to get this joke out of my system, but like not in a Janet Jackson kind of way. Like, <laughs> yeah. I did okay. already, uh, I did already sing control earlier <laughs> in the podcast. So it, it's a good, uh, it's a callback. It's a runner. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's the Janet and we, and I've met, we, well, there's a weird Janet Jackson runner happening right now. I did, I mentioned, um, escapade too. So, That's um, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but the, the, there's a lot. Uh, I think Chris Wall had a lot of control in the songwriting, especially because, um, and the song structure and the production structure is so dynamic. And I think a really unique and interesting facet of this album is there are these very long and deliberate, slow builds. So if yes. you think of a normal structure of a song or an album, um, you know, you have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, if you think of Pixies way, yeah, yeah, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, you know, Pixies might do a loud, quiet, loud, Ooh, shit, <laughs> uh, I just played Chakra Khan, um, uh, <laughs> and, or, you know, like, um, whereas I think a lot of, you know, instead of kind of an up, down, up, down feel, like, the, 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 these songs, have kind of a steady incline and sometimes they resolve in a big way and sometimes they don't and it's really really interesting and dynamic and um you know and i think the another thing i have to shout out too um so is also the um the uh the track list the 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 order of the songs on this album i think is really really well done Mm -hmm. um i think they do a really good job of um sort of these more like slow build maybe even droney type songs um uh you know like expo 86 which is a really dynamic song uh you know followed by like sound of settling which is like a indie uh, upbeat um power poppy almost song yeah that we can kind of we will be talking about later but just the 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 um the track listing the sequencing is really 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 well done yeah and interestingly enough just when we were talking about figuring out what songs we were going to cover for our deep dives into this album we ended up choosing three songs that are uh all um uh, you know, they're all in the same like, yes. like spot in the in the record. Yeah, it's uh, they they all either go before or after one another. Yeah, yeah. The first song we we're going to talk about, which was Kyle's pick, is title and registration, mm-hmm. which then uh, segues into my pick, which is Expo '86, and then uh, the final pick that we'll talk about uh, we chose together is the sound of settling, and uh, it's almost like it comprises a little movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the- and thematically, lyrically, the whole album is sort of different takes on the same concept mm-hmm. of uh, sort of the longing that comes from the distance between people and relationships and the wish to be able to see people, in this case, a uh, romantic relationship. You know, it's mostly about him just finishing he ended a romantic relationship that ended because he was on tour and he like couldn't deal, you know, which totally makes sense. And I think that, you know, we talk about, well, why is this yes, album? I knew we'd get there. Right now? I knew we'd get there. <laughs> yeah. And definitely there's a lot of sentiment here and a lot of frustration expressed here that I think we can, we're all kind of feeling right now in terms of our friendships and our romantic relationships and our familial relationships too, that like we can't snap a finger 
and just go see somebody that perhaps we're really longing to see, we can't just fold a map to use one of his lyrics in order to Mm -hmm. make point A to point B much shorter and much safer to traverse, you know? Um, You know, and I'm personally, I'm currently in a romantic relationship right now. Um, That's where it feels like a long distance relationship, despite the fact that the guy is in Brooklyn and I'm here in lower Manhattan. Right. It feels like almost completely insurmountable. Well, I think that's, uh, that's kind of um, a testament maybe to the power of the lyrics and the sentiment in, on the album is that, um, you know, the, the, physical, the, the physical distance um, is only one uh, element and mm-hmm. um, it's an important element, but it can, it, it's, uh, there are many ways in which that physical distance can manifest itself and really weigh on you. And I think, um, maybe it's even more uh, pronounced now because of the fact that, you know, that he's so close and, you, and yet you can't see it. Yeah, totally. Uh, before we uh, get into title and registration, also how interesting that these were themes he wanted to explore while he was also working on Postal Service. So the themes connect really interestingly to the way that the Postal Service worked, which was... Ben Gibbard and Jimmy Tamborello sending tapes back and forth to each other from Seattle to Los Angeles. Yes. Well, so the theme sort of connected was seemed to be this running part of Gibbard's life at the time. Mm-hmm. So let's listen to a little bit of title and registration. This was the third single from the album. Uh, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. The glove compartment is an What does that bring back for you, hearing that? Oh, man. A real wistful sigh. (laughs) I I mean, it's just crazy. This was... um, I've just... I've listened to this song for so long, and and, uh, that guitar riff especially, it's so funny to think of a band like Death Cab being like a guitar riff band, but that riff is like burned into my memory. And it's really... I mean, I think it's really effective and beautiful. I think it's like if you were going to write an emo guitar riff um like that's i mean that kind of works it's so simple um but then i think it kind of really um the song i also want to say highlights the production and and um kind of that um the way the production is used to build a song uh rather than um it's not always the songwriting itself it's the which it's a beautiful song but the the way he um chris walla adds this like ethereal like sweeps in the background 
yeah. um, to kind of build and layer this song really beautifully. Um, I think it's just incredible. Um, also, just to shout out that this song uses a um, a drum track rather than live drums, particularly that you can hear on that synth. I mean, I'm um, sorry, the snare, which is like that crackly, uh, like sound. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's really cool. And I think definitely this song, maybe more than a lot of the others on the album, you can kind of hear the crossover with. Uh, postal service a bit yes. and the influences there and the like kind of uh synthy glockenspiel that kind of comes in at the end yeah um, so do you consider this band emo oh let's get into it yeah uh, <laughs> i feel like this is a good song to talk about that you know for sure for sure um i absolutely consider this band emo although i consider this album to be their transition from especially their early albums heavily rooted in like emo music and then transitioning into more of a um just like mid-2000s indie pop indie rock band sure. which i think that's which, what, which is what was. they always consider themselves i don't think they always they ever really consider themselves an emo band Yes, but that with that being said, almost no emo band does considers themselves an emo band. So that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I you would be hard pressed to find any band that outright calls themselves emo, other than maybe like these emo revival bands now, which a lot of them I like. But um, to give a quick history lesson for those who aren't aware, or Please. to clarify for people who um, uh, maybe would know this or would disagree with me. Um, emo music is not necessarily My Chemical Romance or Paramore or Taking Back Sunday. I mean, I, they are emo, but that aesthetic, which I think a lot of people, when you hear emo, your mind goes to, you know, 2006, the swoopy hair, the makeup, the yeah. tight pink checkered je skinny jeans, um, like you know, hot topic mall goth stuff. Yeah. Um, Sad music for suburban kids. Right. But like, also like, um, you know, I, I was reading something interesting, like that, like there are a lot of different phases of emo and people like this one guy called that like emo's hair metal phase. Right. Yeah. Like the mid two thousands, but there was a lot that came before it that I think is really interesting. And people forget that, there were all and there were all these incredible bands that sounded a lot different and now people are coming to um recognize a lot of them like you know american football uh promise ring mm -hmm. um you know even like jawbreaker like these uh um bands that were around at the end of the 90s early 2000s that they weren't the swoopy hair guys. It, emo meant like very sincere, but also like self-aware lyrics. Sure. Um, kind of like sad fuckboy music, you know, which like <laughs> I might, I probably, then that's why I was interested to talk to you because this, you know, this, this album came out, I was in middle school and I loved it. And even as I grew up, I can kind of relate to it, but I don't know if I necessarily would hang out with a death cab fan in 2003. Sure. Um, uh, like, uh, but j just to get back to what what I think emo is is like it's that lyrics and then musically, I hear 
I think of this, people might say the second wave emo. The first wave was like Embrace and all these like um, DC hardcore bands who started being more like melodic and sincere and mm-hmm. emotional in their lyrics. But then the second wave, which I think is the most interesting and the best version of emo, um, is the sound musically. It's not just the lyrics, right? Um, it's, I think, I think of, the American football album um, mm-hmm. and the song never meant. And it's that very intricate layered um, even, you know, spindly guitars, right? You have a bunch of different guitar sounds that almost form a wall of sound, but you can kind of separate them out and they're kind of weaving in and out of each other. Um, and they're also using like very um, complex chords too, but they're kind of, uh, plucking these strings, maybe, um, you know, uh, I think it's just like the, 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 it's like these guitar riffs that weave in and out of each other and kind of form this like tapestry. Sure. Uh, and I think that sound defines emo and death cab has the lyrics. It has the guitar sound. Um, and the tone, the, the, the vocal quality of Ben Gibbard's voice. I mean, give me a fucking break. It's emo. It's emo people. It's emo. Yeah, that is so interesting because I think because at the time we were experiencing like the third wave emo, you know, period, uh, you know, he was because I think aesthetically uh, and musically, Gibbard was interested in exploring different stuff. He really was reluctant to be described as emo, Uh, you know, and, and at this time, and I just think this is so funny there was encouragement for them to tour with dashboard confessional yes and you know i really don't think and this is no disrespect for dashboard confessional i just feel that there's disrespect (laughs) such i just feel that there's just like such a difference aesthetically between the two bands you know dashboard is sort of so there's an aggression to dashboard you know that like more pop punk it is it's it's pop punk yeah and Uh, and Death Cab is so, you know, I'd say so much more introspective and kind of like nuanced and quiet. And I would argue that <laughs> one of the main reasons why people wanted them to tour together, and this is a stupid theory, but I also think it like makes a lot of marketing sense, is that they were both like car themed names. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just like looks good on a poster. <laughs> like. I would not put it past yeah um, people, you know, people. and and yeah. the, and the record industry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Also, great time just to mention the name "Death Cab for Cutie." It's a Bonzo Dog Band song. That's where the title comes from. That's hmm. where the the band name comes from. Uh, Bonzo Dog Band uh, was a really wild, great psychedelic comedy band from the '60s, headed up by Neil Innes. Uh, mm. And they performed that song, Death Cab for Cutie, in the Beatles film, Magical Mystery Tour. And then mm. Neil Innes went on to write all the songs for the, the Beatles parody project, Monty Python. Uh, you know, Eric Idle did the Ruddles. So mm. that's kind of a fun music history connection there. But uh, Bonzo Dog Band, that's a great cultural reference, musical reference shout out for them to name their their band after (laughs) it was Gibbard's it was Gibbard's idea um this song just to go back to it 
I think this is one of the songs that tells the most like concrete story on the record. For sure. Uh, and things get much more uh, abstract in the next two songs we're going to discuss. So I think it's important just to sort of uh, focus just for a sec on the fact that what this song is about is it's about the subject finding old pictures in a glove compartment while searching mm-hmm. for of his car while searching for a legal document, mm-hmm. perhaps a divorce document, mm-hmm. maybe something like that, some sort of agreement of separation. Um, and the first line of the song, and this I think really taps into Gibbard's songwriting, uh, sort of his like habits or his songwriting aesthetic is first line is, you know, the glove compartment is inaccurately named, uh, you know, cause it's not a compartment for gloves, like fucking ever for in anybody's <laughs> car, literally. And a lot of people at the time felt that something that he captured so succinctly was these like deeply personal, emotional themes. He was clearly going through a lot of shit when he mm-hmm. wrote this, but in a very like detached kind of clinical uh, way. Uh, and that, that is, I think, expressed both lyrically and musically on the, on the album. Yeah. Which is interesting. This isn't a, I'm going to rip my heart out for you album. This is like more of a, I'm going to very frankly discuss what is happening with me yes, through yes. music, you know? Right, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the music video mm. worth just, just touching on just for a second, because it's like the most mid 2000s thing that's ever exactly. happened. Exactly. It's so incredible. <laughs> it's, it's in, like, in terms of like being exactly what you would uh, think. You listen to the song and what you think the video is, it's, it's that. Yeah, it's like a Mad Lib for like a <laughs> mid-90s or mid-2000s, like, like yeah. indie rock emo music video. It's Gibbard mm-hmm. on a table, uh, operating table, and the rest of the band is cutting out his organs and removing his heart but his organs are all made out of paper <laughs> and as is his heart. And then his heart is replaced with another heart. And then all his paper organs light up sort of like lanterns. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, just to very like, frankly Mich- describe. <laughs> it's, it's Michelle Gondry for babies. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 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 Fisher price. My first Michelle Gondry video. Yes, for exactly. sure. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel though that we may have hit into a whole other podcast spinoff format, which is Louie and Kyle, like really succinctly describe music videos. Oh, <laughs> that would be a joy. That would be a joy. <laughs> so yeah, that's that song. That's title and registration. Moving on to Expo 86. Mm-hmm. Expo 86 gets a lot more kind of loopy and abstract, but deals with similar themes. Let's give it a, let's give a little bit of a listen. Time 
is interesting following uh title and registration right after because it this one is more it's less sort of the concrete concepts of you know when something goes south and instead sort of dwells in that anticipatory dread of like Mm -hmm. how something is going to go wrong relationship wise with someone Mm -hmm. and then also like in a very abstract sense I think this song's also about misplaced nostalgia in mm. a way that I really like. Uh, there's sort of two hints towards that that's sort of where his, at least where his like subconscious was when he was writing this. One of them is definitely, you know, it's like right there is like the slide analogy, uh, mm-hmm. going up and down a slide, which is a childlike thing to do, but the, the, the metal is hurting you more and more each time you go down the slide. Mm-hmm. Is, is the main imagery. And then yeah. the title of the song, too, I love it. This is just like the Canadiana lover in me. Expo 86 <laughs> took place in Vancouver, BC. Mm. I'm sure Gibbard attended it. I'm sure <laughs> that's why. That's why the song. And I'm sure he has really early kind of like fragmented memories of waiting in lines at Expo 86, which is partially what I think the song is about as well. You know, it's like waiting in line for the slide, waiting in line for the ride. Mm. And that, you know, you're kind of trudging in a line to your eventual demise, uh, going down that slide, which is sort of this moment of dread in the song, but is also, if you're forcing yourself to move forward in the line, you are also forcing yourself to move through this painful experience, perhaps into like a place of healing as well. And that's, it's interesting. It's like, well, I think laid out, in a song that on the surface is, is just really kind of fairly obtuse and abstract mm-hmm. and takes mm-hmm. a bit of digging. Mm-hmm. Um, and then musically, the reason why I personally chose this one is I think that it has such a killer build, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful build to it. Uh, and then it hits this like bridge, which is just a great example of like that loud quiet loud dynamic that it was embraced by indie rock bands at the time and is was pioneered very much by the pixies who we talked about uh two episodes ago and then also was used to great effect by uh our favorite emo band weezer yeah baby (laughs) in pinkerton um Mm -hmm. for sure uh we do a whole episode about weezer for listeners that want to about Pinkerton. Uh, yeah, about Pinkerton that I think is the longest episode we ever recorded. So, <laughs> so it's I think it, uh, yeah, <laughs> as it deserves. Yes, totally. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, so those are some things that really uh, make me love the song. And the song sort of is an interesting, tr- I'd say transitional piece in between title and registration and sound of settling. Yes, as for well. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, uh, title and registration being a bit, um, more of, it's, it's, it's a slower build and it doesn't quite 
uh, explode in a way um, that that song coming before uh, Expo 86 and then afterwards, Sound of Settling being like, a, you know, a, a, a happy a happy bop as far as this album is concerned. Yeah. So I think this is a really nice um, transition. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, another thing I really like about this song is musically is we get, I mean, we kind of get it on the first track, um, the new year, but mm-hmm. um, you get like, I don't want to call it a wall of sound because, you know, but you get a wall of guitars. Well, definitely- it, this, it deals a lot with like ambient tone and like mm-hmm. this album and like fuzz. Yes. And yeah, and it's not right to describe it as a wall of sound because that's so obviously the term for like such a specific Phil Spector technique, which I don't mm-hmm. think is correct for what's happening here but but maybe more eno-esque i mean it's totally yeah i think i think that using the eno comparison works really well for this yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but i I think that's an element that's used uh i mean some of the best elements on this uh record are not um they don't utilize it on every song they don't have a, a bag of tricks that they pull into every time you know each song is really um you know I think they did. They do a really good job of serving the song, and I think in this one, the chorus explodes with like a wall of guitars that I think is really fun and gets you going. Um, I, I don't know. I think it works really well. I agree. It's super effective, uh, and goes right into "Sound of Settling," which is a song that Gibber did not want on the record, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is sort of a recurring theme of our last few episodes. Yeah, I think. Uh, talking about the pixies but um cindy lopper as well yeah right exactly i think uh uh you know the pixies had here come your comes your man they're like happy fun song that yeah. uh, frank black didn't want and this is the uh the here comes your man for ben gibbard but for sure turned out to be probably the biggest um uh, maybe not the biggest but uh, you know one of the biggest songs on this album let's listen to it let's listen to a little bit of the sound of settling I've got a hunger Twisting my stomach into knots That my tongue is tied off My brain's repeating If you've got an impulse, let it out That's such a fun... I mean, I love that song. Yeah, so he didn't want it on the record. <laughs> and yeah. uh, also, it, it, it had to do with the fact that he had a... Or, uh, you know, had at the time a personal distaste for songs that were up-tempo. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it is... That's <laughs> completely insane. Yes. That's very that's strange. <laughs> very, um, yeah, weird take. I went to college with a guy who told me once that he didn't like music with guitars. 
Okay. I feel this uh, falls in the same category. It's yeah. like, what are you talking about? Uh, I personally think jazz is for suckers. <laughs> so that makes me crazy. But also, sure. I'm joking. I do not think jazz is for suckers. I like <laughs> jazz. I like all genres of music. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, anyway. <laughs> but he writes a killer good pop yeah. radio hit song here. Right. Um, this was, you know, an early iTunes success. Yep. Very similar to Stacy's Mom. Yeah. This is, I, mm -hmm. I was just going to say, like, this is like, once again, captures that, like, early 2000s digital music era where mm -hmm. a song like this could coexist with uh, Beyonce or with, uh, you know, Nivea, or with, you know, like all that like big, brash uh, R&B pop stuff uh, and still have the same amount of downloads. And this was sort of also like the, the, the death knell of rock being like a viable radio-friendly genre, you know? Oh, yeah, this is right. And, and I think they get lumped into like the rock's last gasp yeah, kind of, uh, generation. I mean, they which, get lumped in with sort bands. of sort of why this ties into our theme of 20th century music. Despite the fact this was released technically in the 21st century, this is sort of such a summation of so many 20th century influences. You know, absolutely. Yeah, it's like you know th th they were it, they were part of this last uh, gasp of rock being like a major hit. They kind of. Their roots are in like late '90s emo music. I mean, definitely this 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 album has its foot in both centuries for sure. Yes. Um, and you know, just to to kind of, I think this song more than any other on the album kind of really puts them in league with a lot of their indie rock contemporaries of the time. Um, maybe like you know, um, like a I don't know, like well, they they get lumped in with a lot of. The, the kind of stuff they get lumped in with is it's like uh it's like how cbgb's bands they none of yes. them sounded the same they, like they get lumped in it's like oh the la the indie rock of the 2000s yeah white i would stripes. say they, they get lumped in with yeah white stripes the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, like yeah. um you know they sound nothing like those bands but no um, they were just like these they were they were doing rock and they weren't doing r&b or hip-hop so therefore, we're going to lump all these bands together. They're so much more quiet and subdued and Midwestern, mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, or Northwestern, not Midwestern, yeah. Northwestern. Well, I mean, I would say from like an emo perspective, like, you know, a lot of those bands that they were kind of lumped in with and actually sounded more like, that was like Midwestern emo. Uh, yes. Like, you know, Get Up Kids, Promise Ring. Um uh, American football. Those that's that's a midwestern sound that they kind of were influenced by. Totally, yeah, totally, definitely. Well put. And a lot of the sentiment on this album, I, I just compare it to a lot of sort of you know Pacific Northwestern culture. I went to college in Vancouver, so I feel like I have you know actual experience with this. It's like I don't think that the people in that area of the world have a lot of trouble being expressive, mm. but they do it in a very unshowy way. 
hmm. which I think is really similar to the songwriting and production on this on this album. Hmm. That's sort of you know, sort of the feelings it gives me listening to it and coming to it with somewhat with fresh ears. You know, I I didn't before this week started. I I, I didn't listen to this album a lot. Uh, I I heard some of the singles from it, but I hadn't heard it all the way through. This was a Kyle choice, which I'm glad happy you brought in. Um, and definitely on the more kind of wrecked, uh, sad, emotional, uh, you know, place. And definitely, if you compare, you know, Washington State, where these guys are from, to British Columbia, which is where like new pornographers who were really popular at the time were from and who I was Mm -hmm. listening to at the time a lot. Washington state was a lot more uh, economically downtrodden than British Columbia. Uh, Mm. People I think felt a lot less taken care of. And I think that those are sort of the aesthetic differences between the two bands, like new Mm. pornographers certainly have kind of a lot of this rustic feel in their production and their songwriting, but they're really big and brash and uh, kind of, Air on the side of like uh, of being you know sort of wildly theatrical, and these guys mm-hmm. like w- wouldn't want to do that. I don't think yes. to save their lives. I know. wouldn't call them theatrical. No, no <laughs> certainly not. Um, the song and the band in general uh, he received a huge popularity boost. Oh, we have to talk about it, of course, <laughs> because they were the characters. Seth's favorite band on the teen drama, The O.C., Yes, <laughs> which I was not watching at the time. Neither was I, but I think this uh, ties into my unique vantage point on this album. I was in middle school at the time, and I mean, you can't understate how massive The O.C. was. Yes, um, huge and, cultural phenomenon. Oh my God, and the fact that they... Yes, this band in the, the the character of Seth in the show. This was his favorite band, um, and uh, they played multiple songs, Death Cab songs, on the soundtrack. Um, also, they they themselves as a band were in the show. Yes, eventually. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then also, I think most significantly is uh, I didn't know this, but the the soundtrack to the OC. Um, was released with a lot of Death Cab songs on it and actually became one of the highest uh, grossing TV soundtracks of all time. Yes, yes. Because the it was a really early example of like the show having, not only, I think that the, the writers and creators of the show were genuinely fans of music and wanted to mm-hmm. make music like another character in the show, mm-hmm. but also too, just really good example early example of like good licensing and good you know music sequencing in a show to really sort of define the entire tone uh, of a show and also seth uh the character it's a good example of a uh teenager character really defining himself through his interests and Mm -hmm. through his his artistic loves which i think is something that we can really identify with on this podcast as well uh yeah you know he was into comic books Mm -hmm. uh death cab 
you know, uh, and there is definitely a connection there. But I don't know if, if he himself would describe himself as an emo. <laughs> you know? Well, other characters in the show called him emo. Yeah, so there and you go. I think go. that's more telling. Yeah, that's totally true. It's not. It's not how. It's not how. Uh, how you describe yourself, but how others look at you, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and you, you asked me earlier, and I think this connects into yes. that pretty well. Who were Death Cab fans at the time? Right. Um, and I definitely remember being recommended this band by my friend Ryan, who was a comedy partner of mine at the time, who was from the Pacific Northwest. He mm. was from, I think he was from Olympia, if I remember correctly, mm. and wore flannel and, <laughs> uh, you know, plaid shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting because at the time, as I said before, I was really into the new pornographers. He didn't really get them. I think they were a little too Canadian for him. Mm. And I certainly, um, had an awareness of death cab, but uh, they never permeated for me. It just didn't mm-hmm. totally work. I think maybe there was a space and a luxury that Gibbard was exploring, um, in terms of like relationships that. I, at the time, maybe wasn't emotionally mature enough to understand on mm. this record and him as a songwriter. Um, uh, I definitely feel now that a lot of what he's writing about is universal, but at the time, I think that music at the time was marketed in a way that this didn't totally feel like it was for me as a, mm. a young out gay guy. Mm. Uh, however, you know, we have learned through progressing as a society that that's like such those labels are such bullshit well you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think that's a really good point and something i we have to touch on quickly is just yeah. you know i think they kind of defined the image of the like nice guy yep. uh you know fuck boy like oh i'm not like the jock i'm actually really good to women because i am uh speak softly but actually i put them on a pedestal and i'm actually even more of a piece of shit you know like that was the image of i think like the death cab fan even i don't think it that's true but i think that's like um i think that's kind of the image of like the pompous nice guy you know sad boy yep um but super, you know, super straight. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of like his own version of like w- maybe toxic masculinity. Yeah, and these are concepts that I think we've only started having conversations about in any sort of bigger way in the last few years. Mm-hmm. So I'm not necessarily going to hold it against these guys for no, maybe no. manic pixieing some dream right. girls. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. Uh, however, definitely it is written from like a very uh, male, you know, sort of youthful male perspective. You know, uh, the perspective that like I-, I would say my emotions are a little more important than anyone else's. You know, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's a long tradition of that, you know, in pop songwriting and especially in like white male pop songwriting. And I think it's, I think it's a real thing. And I think, uh, and I think he expresses it so well and universally, as you mentioned, and to quickly, you know, I think one, a quote that I read from him kind of distancing himself from the other emo bands is like, he was like, uh, you know, um, 
you know, he he, he kind of described other emo bands as like, oh, I listened to some No Effects, then I heard Pinkerton, and I'm a young white guy and I have feelings and I'm just going to vomit, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but like, I'm just going to vomit out exactly, you know, it's like, I walked by your house and I saw you there and then I looked in your window. It's like, you know, seemingly, totally. uh, you know, like it's literally just stream of consciousness, like a word vomit. Um, by like not so sophisticated people but I think he is just like very very thoughtful I think his lyrics are really really good gorgeous um, definitely. And, and and I think the themes that he talks about are universal even if they maybe come from or speak to this like fuckboy persona it's like you know he's that's the character and that's interesting to listen to his take I agree 100% yeah thanks for bringing this in yeah uh, I think this this we sort of you sort of you took us on a journey through, you know, mid two thousands, this mid two thousands, you know, era that really was very fleeting in terms of the history of music. Yes. Uh, but I think very meaningful for a lot of people. If you Google death cab now, one of the first, and it's interesting, uh, you know, Gibbard is still active with death cab. They released a album fairly recently within the last few years. Chris Walla has left the band, but only in the last few years, he decided he wanted to move on and, you know, produce and do other stuff. He was kind of done with it, but they're still around. But if you Google Death Cab, one of the first things uh, that comes up is the question, what happened to Death Cab for Cutie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, around. but, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, Gibbard was in a very, like, public relationship with Zoe Deschanel. Right. Or yeah. they were married, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then they broke up and now he's uh with a with a he seems to be very happy with a new wife who's he's apparently new from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And apparently a lot of fans when they hear the new material uh are slightly frustrated because it's clear that he's in a much better place <laughs> than when he wrote Transatlanticism. Right. Uh and I feel for you, but I'd rather Ben Gibbard be happy uh then get another transatlanticism we already have it you know no 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 i think you should be miserable of course <laughs> of course you do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man well that was another episode of kick the jukebox uh please you know follow us on all social media as we said uh my venmo is at louis 4711 if you want to throw us a few bucks for doing some music research for y'all <laughs> kyle and, what's your venmo <laughs> yeah i'm at kyle dash gordon dash two yeah, awesome. And if you're just finding us for the first time, uh, as we said before, you can subscribe to us on all podcatchers of ill repute. And you can, uh, you know, rate us and uh, review us if you would like. Um, yeah, you know, uh, everybody stay well. If you're feeling sad, listen to Transatlanticism. If you're feeling happy during all of this, listen to She's So Unusual. yes we gave you a back-to-back uh cure for the quarantine blues yeah (laughs) all right well we'll see you around like a record kick the jukebox is so much fun kyle and louie are number one kick the jukebox kicking a rhyme talking about music all the time oh yeah